Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson, I'm Aaron Sims. And Charlie, you pointed out uh, before we started rolling that we've had how many players, how many coaches, and all of that. But but of all, we think of the Admirals and the, the media coverage that they've had over the years has really been outstanding. Right. Uh, very fortunate. And today we have the first member of the media, really, to uh, to cover the team. Uh, joining us. Uh, if you're in Milwaukee, if you're out anywhere, really, you know who this guy is. Uh, he's Drew Olson, who's now, uh, he's, boy, you're, you're like, would they talk Howard Stern, king of all media? I mean, you got to have that, you got to have that mantle somewhere. Don't uh, you? I don't king think of Milwaukee so. media. Yeah, right. I don't think so. Somewhere. I don't think so. But it is, it's nice of you to say, and it is my honor to be here to talk and to represent. I was looking at the Admiral's 50th season uh, program oh, that I have here. It's nice. very special. It's a spectacular document of Admiral's history. And I, I'm, I'm a little bit miffed that my era of covering the Admiral's is a little underrepresented in this tome, which covers 50 well, years of Admiral's in, history. In your era of Admiral's <laughs> hockey is probably the boom, really, of Admiral's It is the heyday of Admiral's so, hockey. Yeah, here's the thing. I started covering the Admirals for the old Milwaukee Journal, back when there was a Milwaukee Journal and a Milwaukee Sentinel. Right. And I got to do it at probably the worst time to cover the Admirals, which was the winter of 1988. Yeah. Phil Whitliff, the general manager and Mr. Admiral, had been in a horrific auto almost accident. Almost died. Almost died with Howie Larson, the equipment guy. They were yep. doing a, a charity thing or something. No, no relation. No relation. Yeah, no relation to Charlie. Uh, and they had almost died. And Kevin Wilson was, was coaching the team. They were playing at Wilson Park, transitioning to go to the fabulous Bradley Center, which the owners of the team, the Pettits, had gifted to the city, and that was going to open the next season. But they were in the throes of – I'd have to ask Don Tanner. Got to get scoops on the line. 19-game losing streak, was it? 19. We, we lost 19 in a row, won a game, in a row. and then lost 12 more in a row to end the like season. Like the DiMaggio – it's like Joe DiMaggio. <laughs> I was there for the, I was there for those home games at Wilson park in a horrific season with the accident with Phil Whitliff and the team knowing that none of the guys were going to be back. I think Claude Noel might've been on that team. That might've been the only guy I remember. He he actually, Claude told us that Kevin, like this is Kevin Willison's the losing was so bad that he started fining guys for losing. If you lost, it cost you 50 bucks. (laughs) <laughs> and it only mattered for the guys who are on who were signed by the Admirals. If you were signed by it wasn't Vancouver, I don't know who we had on the from somewhere, yeah. On loan from yeah. somewhere, they couldn't find those guys. So it really divided the locker room because it was like, well, Jesus, like Yeah, play harder. Yeah, was, right. So I this was my foray. Like I had served my apprenticeship as many do in the newspaper industry covering high school sports, which I will tell you guys, I've covered Stanley Cup finals, Super Bowls. In some ways, covering a high school game is harder than covering a marquee oh, pro event. Absolutely. In many ways. Yes. Yeah. Gotta keep your own. I covered high school football games in crappy weather with no press box, with my notebook, trying to keep my notes with sleet and snow on them, trying to you have to keep your own stats. You have to do your interviews. And if if you're interviewing one coach and the other, the losing team's coach is pissed and drives away with the bus and you miss him, you don't, you know, you don't get him. You <laughs> you're screwed. You're, you're left with trying to tap dance in your story. So I had done high school sports and then I was given the Admiral's beat dur- during that, that window of just, it was just such a pall. The losing, they're playing at Wilson Park. The pregame spread was either pizza, sub sandwiches, or Wojo's chili. That was, <laughs> that was the food and the bread. And there wasn't really a press room at Wilson Park was a practice rink, right? And so it's a county owned facility. It's a county owned facility, Wilson Park. So the only people there were like the players, wives and girlfriends, 
the some drunks from Jim's on Howard or something, and then maybe people that were waiting to play for Lebutsky tires in the Tri-County Night League that was going to lay some up after the game ended so that they would, you know, resurface and then they would play. So it was just, but I'll say, and, and to talk to Kevin Wilson, it was, I, I got some chops of covering a professional sport where, you know, winning and losing matters. Kevin Wilson knew he was going to be fighting, knew he wasn't going to be there. And a lot of those players knew they weren't going to be there. And it wasn't a great atmosphere, but it was good for me to see it. It was kind of eye-opening walking in from the high school beat. And once they finished that and Phil Whitliff recovered the next year, it was like going from like, it was like Jake Taylor going from the Mexican league to the <laughs> Indians. Like we moved to the Bradley center. And everybody with the organization, suddenly we're in this first class facility, sparkling new. We had the affiliation with Vancouver that sent players that were actually good and that were had like, you know, upside and that had NHL potential. Some guys had played in the NHL. It right. was it was it was as awesome as you can imagine, like being in that in the center of that. So, Aaron, you're right. The golden age of the Admirals was those years. The, the building opened. And it opened with a hockey game, which I got to cover. Um, right. And the, 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 I was, I believe, October 1st of 88, 88 if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, Edmonton and Chicago. Supposed to be the Gretzky game, but he got traded. So yeah. it was supposed to be Gretzky. Right. But it, it, the, the, this was all unfolding amid the backdrop of the Pettits pursuing an NHL team. So right. the, the vibrancy of the Admirals. It, not only that, the building, when we moved to the Brad Center, people, um, you know, it was a cheap way to see the new arena. Right. right and so bucks tickets were more expensive admiral's tickets were cheap the upper deck a lot of times they would do promotions you know cheap seats in the upper deck and i think that first year they averaged seven or eight thousand so they went from 70 or 80 people in wilson park to seven or eight thousand average and on weekend nights they were getting 15 16 and if wojo put a band in there seventeen thousand one eighty five. it was spectacular the buzz around the team and the team that vancouver sent i don't know if there was any master plan to this but the team they sent was perfect for the situation in Milwaukee, because people were getting introduced to hockey, the new building built excitement. The admirals had it going on. It was the thing to do on Saturday night. It was a cheap date. College kids were going, it was the place to be. And they put a team in that was high scoring, high stepping, didn't play much defense. No. And they played high scoring rock'em sock'em games. And it was, it was really good entertainment. Those first couple of years with Vancouver with some of the players that they had and some of the games that they put, the product they put on the ice was really good. And I don't know if, and Vancouver was funny because they weren't really good at the National Hockey League right. level at that time. Very, very mediocre. But, but they had a really, they had a crew of young guys that they sent through. They, they dropped some guys through. One of my favorites was Paul Lawless was a guy that there's a couple of stories that you'll hear about him from you've got the people that you talk to from that era. He was like a bonus baby who had dropped down and um, they had a good mix of guys. And these guys who had been in other minor league cities felt like, well, this is unbelievable. The, the Pettits would buy guys sweatsuits. They traveled like everything was first class in the building. They felt like they were in, in, in the, the NHL in some ways, you know, and it was so everybody was in a good mood all the time. They won a lot. The fans were buzzing. It was a really good time for Admirals Hockey. I, this, I want to get back to all of that. We will, obviously, but I, I'm so curious about at the time, as you mentioned, there was the journal, there was the Sentinel. So each each group, each paper had a reporter covering the team um there was so much going on with the opening of the building and every stinking year there was a new coach and all of That's this true. Stuff going on. and so there is like this is the media guy 
in me that would get excited. You're competing for stories. You're competing for quotes. You're com- I mean, it's, well, obviously there's a kinship and a relationship that you, that you develop, but at the same time, you have to do a job and there's, there's an excitement to that, right? There's an excitement of being the guy who broke this story or whatever. There, there was, and it was the perfect way. And, and again, that apprenticeship, like in order nowadays, it seems like kids walk out of college and they hand them an NFL beat or something. They just, right. you know, it's just, it used to be, you had to put in your time in high schools. If you did a good job with that, you got to cover the admirals or the wave. And then if you did that, then maybe you get to do some Packer sidebar, some brewer stuff. And that's kind of what I was during my admirals time. It obviously wasn't a full-time beat, but it was mine. And I, you know, if they were in the, if there was a game, I was covering it and I go to practice and I try to, we had space at that time to do some features. I even got to travel to some playoff series, which was pretty incredible uh, to, to live the life of a big leaguer. And you're right. So I got to cut my teeth there. Kathy Brighton butcher from the Sentinel was my main competition for a lot of those years. And in some ways she was at a disadvantage because I was young and single. She had a morning deadline. I was at an afternoon paper and I was young and single and hung out at bars and saw a lot of players and had them tell me stuff over <laughs> beers that ended up working its way into stories or leading to story ideas and things like that. So she was uh, at a disadvantage because of my, I was the same age as a lot of the players. I was in my, right. you know, early to mid twenties at that time. Where did, where was that? Where, what bars did you hang out? Was it oh, it was, Water Street was it? had just started. It was Luke Sports Spectacular was the spot on Water Street. It was one of the first Water Street bars. It's been a country bar, I think for a long time, but it was at the North end of Water Street. Back then, Water Street wasn't what we know it now. It was like basically Rosie's and then Luke Sports Spectacular and not much in between. Right. And now, um, yeah, now it's built up and it's one of many bar districts. But these guys found a way. And the, the thing was, my schedule coincided with the player schedule. I was off on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday nights, right? right. So and you were when they were home, I was out at the bars and they were at the bars. And I, so you know. You were there for Psycho Sundays. I was there watching Monday Night Football, drinking. I closed many an establishment with players that I covered, which I now realize wasn't the best thing to do. And ethically, it puts you in a dicey situation. And it wasn't, it actually helped me in many ways. And Aaron, you mentioned it. They, they were going through coaches at that time. So I had, to, I had to figure out how to deal with different coaching personalities. I think I had five in five years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like wow. they had, they, yeah. Every year they would send a different guy or a guy would get promoted and Mike Murphy was one of them. Jack McElhargy. We had Ron Wilson and Ron LaPointe. Ron LaPointe had some health issues and Ron Wilson took over. So there were, it's to the point now, guys, where guys I covered during this era, like Peter DeBoer and Mark Crawford, ended up being successful NHL coaches themselves. Right, right. And it's right, just right. been a trip to, to say, oh, I remember that guy. I remember Jim, I covered Jim a Benning. game, Jim Benning. I covered a game. They played an exhibition game against Team Canada one year at the Bradley Center. And Eric yep. Lindros, Eric was, Lindros was there. Yeah, it was one of his first big, you know, uh, marquee yes. showcases in a big it, rink. It sure was. That was yeah. I, I if I'm not mistaken, that was the second game at the Bradley Center. Uh, or maybe it was the first right. game or maybe it was the first game the next year. Uh, one of the yeah, two. It was it was one of those two. It was one of those uh, opening night type deals, kind of a kickoff thing. So it was a thrilling time. And I also, because I was covering a top affiliate, I had done prior to that. And even during that, during the summers, I was writing a minor league column for the brewers, like once a week, I was, I was, I would call around and just kind of a notebook column because it's hard to explain to the younger folk out there, but (laughs) pre-internet, if you didn't get baseball America, you didn't, you know, you didn't know, you didn't know what was going on in the Brewers farm system. It was like, they might've well been playing on Pluto or something. Right. So I would call around and, and, uh, you know, call to affiliates and general managers. I'd call players in hotels and get interviews and stuff. So I had dealt with minor league 
the minor league mentality of guys who are trying to make the best of the situation. They want to be up in the big show and they're working their way up and paying their dues. And so I got a taste of that mentality there. But covering the Admirals, I also made a couple of good friends who worked at the Vancouver Papers. Right. Um, you know, Mike Beamish was a longtime beat guy for the Vancouver Sun. And then there's another guy, Jim, I think it's Jim Jeffords, I think was his name from the province. And they would both call me looking for information to fill their notebooks or to find out about guys who were injured or guys who were hot. Hey, we're going to, they're going to need a goalie who's playing well. Um, I see that so-and-so didn't get any ice time. What's the deal? Is he hurt? What kind of guy is this guy in the clubhouse? They're talking about trading him. What kind of guy is he in, in the locker room? Uh, how do his teammates like him? And I, I, I worked it so that I told those guys, Hey, if you call me, I'm going to tell you whatever I know. But if the other guy calls me, I'm going to tell him too. Right. And right. as it turned out, Mike Beamish would call me more often. And um, Brian Burke was the general manager of the team at the time. Right. And so I got to deal with Berkey, who ended up being, you know, a pretty big deal. Big deal. <laughs> he was a big deal then in Vancouver because he was a brash tobacco chewing lawyer. Talking yeah. Lawyer. Um, you know, he's he's 10 of the most interesting people I've come across in hockey, probably. But Berkey <laughs> Although, was I mean the GM. The, the stories that uh, Wojo tells about picking up Pat Quinn and and uh, Brian Burke from the airport in Chicago and putting back a case of beer in but each between yeah. <laughs> between <laughs> O'Hare and then and and that that was just the start. Then they got to go talk about That's, the roster for three hours. Exactly, and picking the team and some of the the uh, there's my time covering the Admirals. Uh, the the players like the the bit players around the organization. Warren Fancher, we used to call him the director of scouting. He was one of the guys who founded the, the Admirals. Yeah, he was a Red Wing farmhand. He, yeah, the infamous acapella. You know, yeah. he was he sat next to me for all those years I was covering the team and fed me one-liners and just was <laughs> old school hockey lines. It was it was a mixture of slap shot meets showtime with the Lakers, right? Because it was it was still minor league and it still had that kind of mom and pop organization. The people in the office couldn't have been nicer, Fran Eddy and Barb Krieger and the people that I, I dealt with there. And I always tell people at the Bradley Center, they would, there were big crowds and I had to post game on a Saturday night. I was on deadline. I would have to, I would walk across the rink to get to the locker room from press row. I'd right. walk across the rink and, you know, the ice was chewed up so I didn't slip or anything, but then it got to the point where then rather than walking back across and going up, I would take my computer and stuff and I would just go set up in the Admiral's office. And I would be, I would write my game stories in the office. Like they'd give right. me like either Woj's office or they'd give me an empty desk and say, Hey, sit down go ahead and write your story. So I'd write my story on Saturday night and Woj would bring me a beer. Like I, uh, here's a Miller light while I'm pounding out my game story. And then uh, if I had a question about, Oh, I forgot to ask about that power play. Sometimes like the coach, Kurt Fraser or Mike Murphy would walk by with a beer and I'd be like, Hey Mike, what happened on that? So I had extra time <laughs> to, while I was crafting my story. And then I would sit there and then I would send it to the office and I would, I would wait for questions. Somebody would edit it, put a headline on it. And then they, they might call back and say, Hey, you got this guy's name spelled two different ways, which is right. Or they would, they would check my story and kind of proof it. But by then, I've had three beers. I'm ready to start my Saturday night, you know? Yeah, it was, right. It was fantastic. Yeah. It was the Proof best yourself, media setup guys. there was. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> was as big league as it gets. <laughs> we, we, uh, I, I had heard that we go back to the Kevin Willison thing that it, the losing was so bad, as, as you mentioned, um, that basically after every game, he would give an opening statement and say, his statement was, we suck tonight. You guys want a beer? <laughs> that, was that was pretty much, it. Pretty much dead on. Yeah. That was pretty much dead on. That was uh, where, where he, he didn't mince any words. He was, he would just lay it out there. And it was, it was interesting too, because I didn't know when, especially the Vancouver years, 
I don't, it's not like these guys were running to the paper box to get my story. And a lot of times the stories were on page eight or something. And there were, I didn't, sure. sometimes I didn't get a lot of space. Sometimes I did, but it was, um, it was an interesting dynamic. Like, I, you know, I got to know some of the guys pretty well. Other guys, you know, I hardly ever interviewed. It's, it's like that on a lot of beats. You get players who are kind of uh, play a, a key role almost every night and you end up talking to the same guys. But I try to make it my point to get around and, interview everybody and find out their story a little bit or find out little nuggets or just even ask them about something I read in the media guide. What? Right? That, and so, that's an interesting thing to me about, about who you find, because when you start, and as you said, I don't think anybody was left after, after the 87, 88 season. So it's an all new no, thing. It's a new affiliation. New. I mean, Phil's around, but that's pretty much it. Probably a uh, carry over. So how quickly does it take for you to establish? Cause you, yes, we all want to hear from the star, but the star might, not speak the language or he may have nothing to say that's other than yes and no so how quickly does it take for you to establish who to go to obviously the captain is one that you would go to yeah. um, some guys are just more comfortable talking to the media and you can tell like and some guys have polish and guys who had been in the the nhl before gave you a perspective they were all really good guys they were, for that, that those vancouver years they're all I mean, hockey guys in general are really good to deal with as pro athletes go but th these guys were all pretty good, even though, you know, there, some guys were bitter. They felt they got a raw deal at training camp. They should have started up and, you know, up in the apple. They should have been. And it, it was there's all those different kind of agendas. And now part of the thing was covering the team was Saturday night. I was on my own. I could go into the, the, the room after the game. But when I covered with Kathy, uh, I don't know if it was the Pettits or the Admirals or Kathy, but they just they would bring players out right outside the door. Like the coach would meet right. us outside the door, which was great. You know, and, and he was right there. They were always right, right there. Where, where would you meet? In the back hallway by the back uh, hallway, right, yeah. right outside, like right back where uh, Mark LaForest used to smoke cigarettes. In I, between I, well, that's a guy I definitely want to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah. Mark LaForest. Yeah, Mark LaForest was one of the characters. But yeah, right outside the room. And then we could just ask for any player and they would drink, bring him out. And they, they were all some of them had beer. Some of them were just finishing their exercise bike or weightlifting routines or whatever. And but they were all really accommodating. But then it is, it, it, I, I did find it was different that when I went in the room, you know, I could get guys at their locker and get them reacting and throwing their equipment down and stuff. And, you know, it was a little bit different level of detail that I could put in stories. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned this before, and I wanted to bring this up. You pro you were, you would have been covering the team when they had the buzz for the NHL team. But one of the saddest days, as far as I'm aware, in sort of team history, at least uh, as what Woj and Phil have said, is the day that the Pettits came out and said, we are not getting an NHL team. We're stopping our pursuit. And, and Woj says this is the only, the only day he's ever, he ever saw Jane Pettit have more than one drink. Was yeah, that's that a good day. point. Getting to know the Pettits was almost surreal for me. Like they knew who I was and that was pretty cool being a yeah, you know, right? snot nose. They might not have known everybody over at the paper, but they, they knew who it was and getting a call from them for a big story was always kind of cool. It was like, you felt like you were in the loop. Like, like a yeah. hockey hall of fame guy calling you saying, Hey, uh, Andy, I liked your story. Yes. Whatever and like said. inviting me up to the suite and, you know, offering <laughs> me a gin and tonics, like, no, thanks Lloyd. I got to cover a game in a half hour, but I'm glad you have this time for me. Yeah. It was, um, so their courtship, they donated the building as a tax write-off gift to the city, whatever. And they were going to put an NHL team in it. And so during that time of the admirals and the Vancouver years and everything, it was all like 
with an eye on that. Like everybody had that that buzz. Right. And as a result, I got to cover some NHL All-Star games. I remember going to the All-Star game in Pittsburgh and because the Pettits were going to kind of make a pitch and meet with the board of governors or meet with owners and stuff. And so that I got to cover that whole process and I had to cover some owners meetings in Chicago and I got to do a couple of Stanley cup finals that happened to be um, kind of convenient, like at Chicago stadium. And I got to cover uh, I did cover the 94 uh, that was the Edmonton, New York Rangers. I'm sorry, Vancouver, New York Rangers series. I got to cover that coast to coast, but the day that they pulled the plug and they decided 50 million was too rich for their blood, that they had done a study and that the, it wasn't going to work out and they weren't going to get a good enough players. You know, I, I just thought, man, like nobody in pro sports loses money. They've got all kinds of money. Right. It was a, it was a stark business decision that they made and it was deflating and that, you know, hockey, the admirals kind of at that point peaked, like they were, it was trending. Now we know, and if you've lived here for any amount of time, you know, this market probably couldn't support the NBA and the NHL. There's no right. way. So the Bucks probably would have been, you know, looking for a new address had but the Admirals 30, gotten an NHL team. Yeah, 30 years ago, they didn't know that, though. They didn't know the, of, and, that, that Milwaukee would bleed people because of the loss of industry and everything exactly, like that. Exactly. Uh, and and so, and the Bucks actually, you know, the Bucks weren't, were foundering after their, they were yes. entering a, a long period of stumbling through the woods themselves. So it was an interesting time and the Pettits just decided. And then the thing is, though, that their fears were not that were not borne out because you know look where they expanded at the time and Tampa and Ottawa Tampa Tampa and Ottawa all right and then like Miami came in and like these expansion teams came in and got you Did know well. good right away they they go. played well and made money so it I don't know if it was the best business de- decision but it was theirs uh, yeah you know Phil has always said that uh, I don't think he's ever said this publicly but he said to us if if we'd have stayed in that Pettits were getting a team. If we'd have stayed in the process, the Admirals yes. would have been an NHL team. That's right. There's a there's a lot of rumor going around that Chicago and the Wurtz family no, stepped on no. it, territorial rights and everything. That is not true. They yeah. would have done it because it would have given them a natural rival. I would think it and, would have made all the sense in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Look like at the every Brewers other sport. Exactly. Yeah. Brewers, Cubs, Packers, Bears. Like, it's a natural yes. rivalry. Absolutely. And Bill Wurtz, if we know anything about him, was just was in it for the money. And... He would have, and he yeah, they would have had to, MVP. and they would have had to pay him some territorial rights for yeah, sure. Absolutely. But that wasn't that was then he never got in the way of that. So, and that's another interesting thing because it was a hockey boom in the Sun Belt during my time, and the IHL, you know, it went from being Fort Wayne, Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, Peoria to you know Phoenix, D- Denver, like the the Long IHL Beach. Boom, yeah, yes. the, the IHL became kind of a national, you know, San Francisco, San Francisco for a year. Yeah, they were coast to coast. So that made it exciting, too, is that you had teams coming from big cities. It wasn't not that there's anything wrong with playing, you know, Fort Wayne or anything. But or Muskegon or whatever. Playing, yeah. yeah, playing uh, Salt Lake or Phoenix has a little more pizzazz to it. it makes you seem bigger. And, you know, the IHL had always been kind of the stepchild to the AHL in terms of perception and talent. But right, when you right. got those cities in the league, it's like, hey, look at this. Look at where these guys are playing now. You know? Yeah, and, and it became it, it eventually became, especially after the Admirals left, it became the four A league where you knew if you were a hockey fan, you probably knew every player on the team because for because of what they did in the NHL prior to that. True. Yeah. So it, it did be. I'm that first year, that eighty eight eighty nine season. Rick Lee is the coach, and you mentioned that it was the perfect team to open up a building. And the, at, the best team in Admirals uh, history from a regular season perspective. Yeah, would they win like 54, 55 games, something like that? Yeah. Um, 100, 110 points. 
to hear Wojo talk about it, um, Rick Lee was so frustrated after every game. You might have won seven to four, but yeah. he was <laughs> gave up four. He was a so, defensive-minded coach, and he was, and they played defense like the NBA All-Star game. Basically, it was just <laughs> like the, you know, let's take it out of the net and let's go the other way. It was, it right. was, it was absurd. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of attention to detail on that end, but they were spectacular on the power play. And the thing about the, the that team that first year, I'm telling you, they'd get a full building on Saturday night. They'd rock and roll. They'd be down um, three to three to one, and they'd win five to three. And they won a lot of games late. They yeah. a lot of third period heroics because they just it was a force, man. They, that team, um, Jeff Rolacek was one of their big guys at the time, Lead, leading they, scorer that year. Yeah, Dan Hodgson was a guy they had. They had um, even their defensemen were kind of scoring offensive minded guys. Yeah, Randy time. Boyd was. I'm looking at the stats now. Randy Boyd was third on the team in scoring that a year. Tremendous character too. Uh, and so yeah, they they um, the way they played was perfect for fans who were just getting into hockey. Like these fans had, it was a, you know, there's always been a hardcore Wilson park core of fans that love hockey and their kids play and they followed it forever. And they go to Blackhawks games a couple of times a year, but having the admirals and having that brand of exciting hockey brought in people that just got, hadn't been, had never been to a game or never thought to go to a game. It brought them in and they didn't lose them because th those games were, they were hard to cover sometimes because you know, you never knew what was going to happen. Yeah, right. You, you know, can't say, you over. can't write your story and then be <laughs> and then say and then uh, you know Randy Boyd kicked one in at the end. Yes, uh, to exactly. make it six four or whatever. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't get a lot in the can. You had to pretty much react and be ready to to react because stuff that seemed important in the first period by the third period is forgotten. You know, <laughs> right? And that's right. tough on a Saturday night deadline. That can be tough. One of those guys, and you mentioned Paul Lawless before, but that might have been the reason he was one of those guys that I guess maybe he was the scapegoat for, for some of this, right? He was, he was sent packing for a more, a defensive minded type of player, but maybe that cost him a championship that season. Yeah. I mean, that was, um, that, that very well could have been that was, he was a uh, man. He was an interesting cat, a high stepper. He is, he had been the bonus baby and lived the high life. And then he was down in the eye. There's a great story. Uh, Eddie Niesner, the trainer to the stars tells about, <laughs> he got, he got blindsided once checked and basically knocked out. He's lay, laid out on the ice and Eddie goes out to check on him. And he's like, Wally, how you doing? He goes, how many fingers? Do you know where you are? And he said, yeah, I'm in the eye. I'm in the bleeping eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said. And <laughs> that, that saying resonated for the entire time I cover the admirals. Like we would say that I'd say it to Wojo. I'd say it to people around the, the office. I'm in the eye. I'm in the bleeping eye. <laughs> Uh, Peter Bukovic was on that team. John LeBlanc, they had, yeah. and then they brought in some younger guys like um, Ronnie Stern was on that team. Ronnie Stern, Rob Murphy was a guy that they brought in. That was, I might, yeah. he might've been rookie of the year. He was a promising young guy who didn't really pan out, but, um, no, that, but still he's a scout. He's here all the time. He's in Milwaukee all the time as a scout. Yeah. And so it was great. And so I'd have, uh, Brian Burke and Phil Whitliff behind me. I covered the Sean Antosky game where Sean Antosky. Oh yeah. Yes. The, other, the, the, the Martinson fight. Steve Martinson is the guy. He That's fought. right. Steve Martinson from San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, San Diego. Yep. So they had been going at it. There was the water bottle sp spritz at each other. And then Antoxic goes over. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, I used to get mm, emails and pre-email. I used to get letters and calls from people like college kids that wanted to shadow me and, and, and cover a game. So I would ask Woj and he'd be like, yeah, sure. We'll leave the seat next to you. And, and so I had a kid sitting next to me shadowing me. 
and he's asking me about the game and he's asking me about, um, he's asking me like, well, what do they do? He noticed that, you know, Berkey and, and, and Phil were behind us. He's like, well, what do they do when there's a fight? How do they, how does management treat it? I said, oh, just wait until there's one. Right. And so sure enough, almost on cue, there's a fight, there's a scrap. And I don't remember who it was, but Berkey's up there boxing going, switch hands, switch hands. (laughs) You know, he's giving, he's like playing Mike Tyson punch out. He's basically, I can hear two blues over. I can hear Doug Pettit describing the blow by blow. And I got Berkey giving me another version, like, get him, pull the jersey, switch hands, you know? And it was, it was hilarious. I'm like, which is, there's your answer. Like this kid thought that they would frown upon it, but it was like, no, this, in fact, some of the guys who came, they knew that that was their way to get to the apple was to fight their way up, you know? And so we, the guys would do that too. So not only did the admirals score five or six goals a night, they had one or two fights a night too, because guys were trying to impress, you know, the, the, the yeah. powers that be with their penalty I mean, minutes. Todd Hawkins had 307 penalty minutes that year in 60 games, 63 games. Epic. Tim Molly would, was another guy. Oh, that was Tim Molly's a, 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 he was a the carryover, thug. right? He was the one, he was the one carryover. Maybe, he was the one carryover. Yeah. That's right. And he was a, uh, you know, he was <laughs> just a tough, tough bastard, man. Yeah. I don't remember where he was from. I'd have to look up his hometown. Anchorage. But, Anchorage. Okay. Anchorage. Tim, yeah. Tim Molly is from Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Well, he yeah. played college. I'm sorry. He's co- oh, yeah. he was coaching in Anchorage. Yeah. That's and he's, right. he went to school in Anchorage. He, yeah. yeah. He was just country as I mean, it gets and just an immovable guy in front of the net. He was and pounded people. Ronnie, so, Stern, Ronnie Stern had 280 penalty minutes in 45 games. Like, that sounds about right. Ronnie Stern. Um, see, we had Richard Zemlack was another guy who dropped yeah. the mitts back in the day. We had a bunch of guys. So the Vancouver year started with that team and then they went through, you know, like all teams do organizations, like they change and that we got a different coach every year. And then you started to get guys. Um, they were trying to get maybe a youth movement where you had some younger guys come in yeah. rather than the, the veteran guys. And it was an interesting evolution of guys. And there were a couple guys that were all the way through like uh, Ian Kidd and Carl Valamont. Carl Valamont, yeah. They played multiple here. years. There were a couple guys. So there were enough guys that the fans got to bond with some guys who would come back. Cause a lot of times when you cheer for a triple a team, it's a whole new team the next year. Right. It's right, like, right. Everybody's blown out and it's a new coach and it's a new team, but there were some guys who came back and the admirals uh, did a good job. I don't want to say like, I don't want to say these guys were like household names, but they became known in the community and known to the fans at the games so that the fans had their favorites for sure. At, at that time, the one constant was probably Fraser, right? Kurt Fraser, because he was an assistant for a couple of seasons before becoming head coach. Yes, he was with uh, Mike Murphy. He had been, yeah. We're and it's actually, I, that's one of my favorite journalism stories. I was sitting at the at the Journal Center, which was across the street from the Bradley Center, as people yep. know. And I'm sitting in the office and the admirals were going to name a coach. And they had a press conference scheduled for like four or five o'clock to get it on TV that afternoon. And our newspaper went to bed. We were the PM paper. So the newspaper deadline was noon. And I'm just like, God, I, you know, I know they're going to hire a coach. I think it's going to be Kurt. I try to do all the sleuthing, you know, this again, you're cutting your teeth as a reporter. I would call hotels to see who had checked in. I'd, I'd call, they used to stash guys at the Milwaukee athletic club. And I, I called there and checked and there's nobody right. there. So I'm like, like Mikhail Stolenkoff. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about him. So about half hour to deadline, I'm like, you know what? Hell with it. I'm just going to walk over there. Right. I'm just going to walk over to the Aberdeen and see if I bump into somebody. And I walked over and the security guards all knew me because I spent so much time in the building. 
um, you know, my, my formative years when the admirals, those first couple of years of the Bradley Center, I was covering the admirals. I did some wave stuff and I did the occasional Marquette and Bucks sidebar. I was eating four or five meals a week at the Bradley Center. My grocery <laughs> bill was non-existent. I barely had to shop in the winter because I was at the rink. I was at the Bradley Center all the time eating the food. And it was delicious. So I walk over there. And I walk, I, I walk around the building. I go to the, in front of the admiral's room and I ran into Kurt Fraser with a cup of coffee and he had a suit on. And I'm like, hi, Fraz. <laughs> hi. Like he knew I wasn't supposed to see him and that he'd been caught. I'm like, uh, see you later. <laughs> I, I basically said, oh, I care to comment on being named the Admiral's coach later today. He's like, I can't. I'll see you later. And he walked <laughs> in and I had my story and I went back and I wrote the story that Kurt Fraser was about to be named. Uh, so we got it wow. to people wow. as it unfolded at five o'clock when it, our paper hit the doorstep that's with that story. Like just a little gumshoe work there, huh? Yeah. Shoe leather journalism. When in doubt, that's how you do it. Yeah. So yeah, that and you mentioned uh, Mikhail Stalinkov. That was another big move the Admirals had, bringing him in. It was like supposed to be this big, huge Russian Trechiak guy. Yeah, and they made a big deal about it. And I don't know if he was on loan because he wasn't a Vancouver player. He couldn't. He, he couldn't be. He, he could not be. be. Yeah, because yeah. he hadn't played in whatever. He was from Russia, right? Or the yes, yes, yeah. I guess in the Olympics. So yeah, he he was not a draft pick, so he could not be uh, on loan. He was a free agent, basically. So, that's right. So so they brought him in, and uh, I don't know if he moved a lot of tickets, but he created a buzz in the hockey world. Yeah, and he was with Milwaukee and played okay, but it was the language thing, and you know, I, I wonder. I probably didn't do as good a job covering that angle. I should have been like hanging out at his house. It's a little bit like having Giannis here when he's, you know, young and new to the country and everything. Right. And, you know, I, we just covered the games and they had an interpreter. And if we had it to do now, knowing what we know and the way sports are covered, it, we would have been more off the ice stuff with him, you know, but it was still, it was still the admirals, but it was a cool thing. And it was, it was moves like that and moves like, again, the buzz of like the NHL is coming. We're going to get the NHL. This and building here, is amazing. You hear the story from Phil, it was a real cloak and dagger operation. Like they didn't know that they were going to get him until, yeah. right. Until, uh, Woj gets a call from, uh, Oh God, who was our assistant general manager at the time who runs coach USA now, uh, Tom Dickelman, Tom Dickelman until Dickelman yeah. calls him and it's like, we got him. He's, he's here. And it was like, wow. Like, holy, yeah. like totally think, iron curtain and all that. They, oh stuff. yeah. There were some, there were some payments made to some, I don't know, offshore accounts. There was some weirdness <laughs> going on there. That, that's, that was quite the deal. And that, so between that and the people in the hockey world and from my Vancouver connections and stuff, and just, you know, I started subscribing to the hockey news back then. And people took notice of the attendance in Milwaukee. And then the Stalinkoff move, it's like, Hey, they're, you know, this is legit. This is like this market. They drew what? You know, they were all drawing right. NHL teams on Saturday right. nights. Yeah, for and sure. so there was a buzz in the industry. Um, and so I got to cover some stuff and I got to meet some hockey journalists. Um, I got to meet like, you know, Kevin Allen from USA Today, one of the greats, right. you know, still great writing dude. still. Yeah. One of the great guys. And I got to meet a bunch of guys and I started showing up at these, you know, at, at all-star games and Stanley Cups. They're like, oh, Milwaukee's like, you know, and so people were writing around the country. People were writing like, you know, Milwaukee's coming. Milwaukee's going to, it's going to, you know, Milwaukee's going to be a fit. Look what's going on. And they were, it was, they were tabbed as the favorite going into that expansion round. They were tabbed as the favorite until we, as we mentioned, they withdrew. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to me to think that the not, this wasn't, and it hasn't been an NHL city, um, but your paper got to send you to, to things like that. They, they did had, because it of the was great. I mean, and I, I wish, I mean, 
damn it, we're not going to go back to that. But I wish like hell it was, I'm sitting here reading the paper the other day, We how, how important it is to have a good, solid local newspaper. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and to have that's two. another conversation. That's yeah, another to have, conversation. To have two was even better, you know, because exactly. you got yes. you got two different viewpoints and the comp- competition made everybody stronger. And, you know, you try to do features and we, you know, we would run stories with sometimes color pictures and stuff that the Sentinel might not have done. It was it was definitely the case. I remember being at the All-Star game in, in Pittsburgh. We have to look up the year. Lemieux went crazy, scored like six goals. But the only reason I was there is because the Pettits were there to do some meetings and stuff. And I remember going up to Lloyd. I found him. I'm looking around. I found where he was sitting. And I went and interviewed him during the game. And he was a little bit surprised to see me. But I asked him how the meetings went and everything. And he he told me. But, yeah, that's the reason I was there. And the paper had enough money to, to ship me around to stuff like that. Oh, how was your – you mentioned it a couple times. But how was your relationship overall with Lloyd and Jane? Uh, they, I was intimidated by them a little bit. And they were yeah. they were very guarded. You know, they had a – they had a bodyguard. bodyguard. Nice yeah. guy. John was a nice John McNamara, guy. McNamara, they, they, yeah. they were very, um, very, you know, they were very down to earth, but it was just, there was just this aura because you didn't really, they weren't very public people. Yeah. Like especially sat, Jane. Yeah. They would, they would sit in their, in, in their box at center ice and you could see Lloyd react and stuff, but they didn't do a lot. You know, the commercials that the admirals did at the time with him were brilliant. The Euchre but commercials. They, yeah. The Euchre commercials and, and Lloyd and Jane, but they were um, very private people. And, you know, it was, and I was always, everything was always arranged. Like you didn't just call the Pettits. It was like, I called Wojo or I called Phil and then they put me in touch. And then it was always kind of, there was a layer there to right. protect them. And it was cool. And I do remember like I, I interviewed Lloyd and I remember the night, I think it was the night of the first sellout. If you ask Phil Whitliff, one of his thrills of um, his time with the Admirals was going and telling Lloyd that they had sold out. Might've been the village people night. I don't know but it was 17,185 or whatever it was. And they filled the joint. And uh, I remember talking to Lloyd that night and he was walking on air. Like he, you know, this thing worked. This is, you know. And, and Lloyd, Lloyd was a hockey traditionalist, right? We were the, we were the last team in the league to put advertisements on the boards. Yes. Cause he, he didn't, didn't want to, didn't need the money. Didn't want to clutter it up. And he also would stand up uh, every, when they instituted the shootout in the IHL, he would stand up, put his coat on and leave. He wouldn't watch the shootout cause he didn't. He, he was against it. He thought it was an abomination. <laughs> he would get up and leave. Um, so there, there's my favorite, one of my favorite Lloyd moments has to do with Jeff Rolichek, kid who was a Chicago suburban uh, kid, a high, you know, very popular, fit Milwaukee like a glove, you know, hard drinking, fun loving guy. Right. And played and scored a lot. And he, he had a great game one night. He might've had a hat trick. He, he at least had two goals. Admirals won. And every once in a while, when Lloyd would get excited, like, on his way out, Lloyd would stop in the room, you know, great win boys, you know, and he stopped at Rolichek's locker and he said, Roly, tremendous tonight. Good job, buddy. And as he's walking away, Rolichek, this is unbelievable. He said, Hey, Mr. Pettit, everybody called him Mr. Pettit. Hey, Mr. Yeah. Pettit. Um, the Lloyd and Jane only went to Admiral's games. They didn't go to concerts. So that box of theirs was dark every other night. Right. Yeah. He's like, Hey, Michael Jordan's coming to the town next week uh, with the Bulls. Can I use your suite? <laughs> and Lloyd just like looked at him, didn't say anything, pivoted and walked away. <laughs> and I'm like, I looked at him like, really? That's the only shot you missed tonight, man. The only shot you missed was that. He asked, he asked Lloyd if he could use his suite for, to watch Air Jordan and the Bulls come in. <laughs> well, Jeff Rolichek holds the Admirals record for goals in a game with five. Uh, uh, but... Hey, uh, he was a uh, high he stepper. It up. 
We used to call those guys high steppers. That was a Paul Lawless term because Lawless would talk about shoot the shootouts and his he's like, well, you know, I just try to I work side to side. I started high stepping and, you know, went top shelf and high stepping was the, the our phrase to, for that team because they were the Showtime Lakers of hockey teams. Right. Like you didn't know who your goalie was on any given night. Mm hmm. Because you didn't play, you didn't get to that side of the ice. Yeah, I remember asking Rick Lee one time. Uh, Troy Gamble was the main goalie. They had a guy, a veteran Frank Caprice, and Troy Gamble yep. was the up and coming guy. He now yep. does media, I think. Aaron, I think he's a, I think he might be a media guy. Like he moved to Houston. He, I thought he played in Houston. I was uh, for a while. The last I knew, um, he uh, he lost a son in one of the, in one of the Gulf, not the Gulf War, but soon thereafter, um, mid two thousands. But he. Um, he was like a VP for an oil company oh, or something. Oh, I wow. think he, I think he entertains. Like he just takes the clients out. Yeah, that's uh, probably it. Well be. he that would be because well be. he's got yeah, a million stories. Quite a bit. So he had had a little groin pull or something, and I remember asking uh, Rick Lee. I was covering a playoff series or something, and I just said to Rick Lee, I think I went to the skate around. I went to the skate or something. And I said, Hey, Rick, is is Gamble playing tonight? He said, We bleep and hope. <laughs> so just the way you know yeah that was a yes and we hope he plays you know we don't yes. know how many he's going to give up but right <laughs> speaking of the playoffs this is an incident that's happened uh and i don't know if you if you ever if you in the media ever caught wind of this but i believe it's game six or game seven in about 88 or 89 and then jose charbonneau is playing for us and he shows up with his with his car packed so it's an elimination game, and he shows up his 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 truck, and he's I don't know if he's got a U-Haul or not, but he shows up, and all his all his stuff is in there. Yeah, this is gonna be the last game, so I'm gonna 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 head home. And well, that didn't uh, that didn't go oh, over well. Uh, I'm aware, and that was uh, you know I mean, the rift with uh, French Canadian players. You know that was right. It was there was yeah. The, the, insert Don Cherry line here probably is the right. way you know. Yeah, that's, yes, that's. Yeah. There was some stuff like that. There was, I, I remember being uh, covering an elimination game. Wojo always called the last game of the season a funeral. I don't know if he still does, but like yeah, covering an elimination much. game. The, the uh, Vancouver had sent this guy, Craig Cox, a veteran yeah. defenseman down. And Coxie was sitting smoking. He was, he was sitting naked on a table in the middle of the locker room, <laughs> smoking. Uh, darts were a thing back then. He was smoking. And he said something. Somebody asked him, like, you know, we got our meetings. They had their kind of end of season processing to go through. And then somebody said they were all going to go out. And somebody said, you know, Coxie, what are you going to do with your rental car? And he's like, takes a drag of his cigarette. I said, ah, bleep it. It's rented by Vancouver. I'm just going to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't going to return the car. He was going to leave it where it sat. I don't know if it was at the rink or at his apartment or what, but he's like, ah, it's Vancouver's car. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> Bring up the, the, the heaters. Uh, and we mentioned LaForest earlier. Um, mm -hmm. When you needed a story from him, did you just go hang out by his van at Wilson Park or what did you do? Well, that's the thing. Like he was, I was the tail end of my covering. So I was handing off the duties then. So I didn't get to chronicle as much of his, his greatness, his glory. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the dude, I mean, Grateful Dead fan and just <laughs> Mark LaForce would smoke. They, they would see him in between periods sitting with his pads, you know, and smoking like right in the little hallway outside the. Uh, in the landing outside the, the room. Yeah. Did they, so like Phil smoked at the time too, right? So like during, maybe you didn't see it, but like in intermissions, you'd have six or seven guys just outside having Start a dart. In the lobby, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah. That's insane. Can you imagine that in the last 20 years? Can you imagine that happening? No, 
No. And then the other one, and you talk about great legends, you'll have to get some details on this from Eddie Neeson or somebody, but there was a playoff series where they played multiple overtime game, might've been an elimination game, but they played like a double, triple overtime game. And they had a goalie named Steve McKeegan. Yeah. Oh, he yeah. was a Miami of Ohio guy. N- n- yes. Not a well-liked guy around. Uh, we loved him anymore. We yeah. loved him because <laughs> he was a great quote for us. For our purpose, he was fantastic. Right. And so he gave us, always gave us good quotes, funny guy. And the players didn't like him too much. They thought he was soft and stuff. And so apparently, and I found this out. Like, oh yeah. Later, we, we, apparently yeah. I found out later that there was a dust up in the locker room. Guys were in between periods of an intermission. And yep. I think it was Jim Benning was the, it was Jim Benning. Defenseman. Yes. Yep. Jim Benning. Current they, they GM all, of, the, of the, of the Vancouver Canucks. Current GM of the Canucks was like, and Benning, the joke was that, you know, Benning wouldn't hit anybody. He was, he was, he, he wasn't that, he wasn't a tough guy. He didn't, he had tight gloves. Right. And that was a joke with, with Benning that he's a veteran crafty, but he was, he wasn't a fighter and he got mad at McKeegan. And apparently everybody, people were ragging at each other. Kurt Fraser was coaching and he walked into the room during one of the intermissions of this overtime playoff game. And like Jim Benning had attacked Steve McKeegan because McKeegan had said, if you guys don't get off my ass, I'm letting one in. Right. And he said, and that was, that's the story I heard. Like that's the, uh, at- from multiple sources. Like, and so there was this fight and they had to break up a fight in the locker room at, at intermission, at intermission of a of overtime playoff game. And to, to add a little bit of context to it, the McKeegan had started deciding he wanted to play the puck more. He wants to go back and be playing the puck, and that should be Jim Benning's puck, mm-hmm. right? And so that's and he says, stay in the net, yes. Yeah, and he in the says, stay, yeah. stay in your, stay in, you know, stay in your net, or, yeah, stay yeah. in the net. What, don't walk around. The the yes, other, yes. And maybe you maybe you covered this. The other Steve McKeegan claim to fame in Admiral's history is he's the goalie who peels ass to go from his crease to the uh, dog pile on the other side and jumps right. on top of it. We show it at, okay, yeah. Right. We yeah. show it at every single game. That is an all-time highlight. That and the Sean Antosky highlight are all-timers. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Steve Steve McKeegan was an interesting cat. I always thought it was almost like too intellectual for the room, perhaps, you know, like he was he carried and he carried himself that way. You know, yeah. that was the, the the old juniors against college guys. I mean, yes. Aaron, that still exists to this day, guys who yes. played in college. I mean, the rip. I also got to see. Speaking of like, you know, part of the thing about the Admirals too is there was always that core of Badgers hockey fans in Madison, right? But they didn't like care about the Admirals, and they they thought that their hockey was superior. Right. And after covering the IHL for a while, I I went down and did some Badger stuff and I was features on Jeff Sauer, and I'd watch these games like. And these guys are slow. Like none of these guys could play where the game I'm, it's a different right. game. Like it's a step different between the AHL and the NHL. It's two steps from college oh, yeah. to the, the IHL at the time, the AHL, but it's still a good product. It's still hockey, but I got to meet Ernie Vargas and Steve Tuttle and the, the former Badgers, Jim Johansson. May he rest yeah, Jimmy Johansson. Yeah. Those guys were coming through at the time I was covering the team and it was um, the Madison connection was great. And some of the Vancouver guys, the junior guys, they kind of sneer at them and like, oh, yeah, they they played in Madison. So they all drive red trucks and they name their daughter Madison and they have dogs named Bucky, which is more or less true for most alums that, that I know. That is so true. Like, but that that's, couldn't be you know, more true. Yeah, that, that was the that was the peg. And I was hearing that in the 80s. Steve, but, uh, those guys were pretty good players and pretty good guys, too. Steve, Steve Tuttle was traded for himself, right? Were you around for that? that? Is, I believe he was. Yes, indeed. He had come from Peoria to the back and back. And 
at the time when the Bradley Center opened, they also had the Bank One Badger Hockey Showdown, yes. which yeah, was yep. in December. Wildly popular, great tournament. And that was a great tournament and hugely popular. And that just added to the buzz of it, guys. It just added to the, the juice of it. Like, I didn't feel, I know it's minor league and I was just a kid at the time covering it. And my stories are a lot of times were on page 10 by the tire and strip club ads. But I felt like I was in the big leagues. Like I felt, cause I only covered home games. I didn't go do the road games. Like if right. I was working the desk, I would maybe, you know, write that I'd, I'd get the box score and I'd write a story like three or four paragraphs for the road. We didn't really cover the road games. Nobody really does in right. minor league sports right. if you're not traveling. So I didn't right. travel the road games except for the playoffs, but I felt like I was covering a big league team. Cause I had guys who were, you know, million dollar bonus babies coming through. We had, you know, star players, guys you've heard of coming through on other teams you know, kind of high profile coaching guys that were rising through the coaching ranks. Right. I covered Bruce Boudreaux a lot of times. I heard him, yeah. you know, swear sure. long before the, the HBO series. I heard Bruce Boudreaux swear. <laughs> yeah, he was in Fort Wayne. I mean, and, and Kurt, Kurt Frazier, what Woj says that Kurt Frazier, you know, Kurt Frazier leaves the Admirals to go be the head coach of the Hartford Whalers and Rick gets up Lee in, did. Rick or, Lee. Oh, yeah, Ricky Lee. Frazier, Rick Lee. Yeah, Ricky Lee. And gets up there at his first press conference and just starts dropping f bombs because that's what he would have done back in Milwaukee when back there wasn't TV cameras. Yeah, absolutely. I remember interviewing him one time, and he said uh, the, the guy from the Hartford Current was uh, Jeff Jacobs. I think he's like, yeah, this this bastard called me. Said I was built like a washer dryer. What the hell? And I said, you know, Ricky, I never. Ricky liked his doers and water, and he was clearly years removed from his playing days because he wasn't in great shape, but. <laughs> Uh, in Milwaukee, he looked like a normal dude. And I'm like, see, I never wrote that about you, man. You, you know how good you had it in the in, in Milwaukee. I never said anything that you look like a washer dryer. He was a piece of work, though. He was, again, he was a, a salty, smirking, uh, doers and water drinking guy. Right. Old-time hockey guy. Old-time hockey, man. Well, and you're right, Aaron. Guys, he was mad when they won 7-4. He hated it that they gave up four goals. He hated Another it. one of those guys we just lost, uh, Jack McElharkey. Jack McElharkey, yep. Jack Mack, yeah. His, um, I guess he was kind of the same ilk. Same, cut from the same mold. I remember Jack Mack, uh, after his introductory press conference, I wrote my story, and I, I met uh, Wojo and Jack Mack out for beers and went – deep into the evening. He put on quite the show, told a lot of stories. I'm like, I'm going to like this guy. But like most coaches of the time, he was only there a year. And then he moved right. on. And I think and we got Mike on. Murphy. Mike Murphy went on to coach the Rangers and went on to coach, you know, uh, so my connection, then I started covering baseball in the mid nineties, but my connection to hockey was all these guys that I'd covered with the admirals in the IHL were suddenly populating the NHL. We just right. had, speaking of that, we, we just had a story from Ken Sabrin that uh, Kenny lived in Franklin. They built a house in Franklin and then one year they decided to go home, him and his wife. So they rented the place to John Jaha for the summer. Oh, that's so John perfect. Jaha lived in Ken Sabrin's house. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's a great kind of link. Um, like Peter De, Peter DeBoer Peter came DeBoer. up as a kid yeah. and was a he was a high prospect and a junior star, and uh, you know obviously a smart guy, lawyer and coach. Yeah, right. His nickname was Dum Dum. They called him Dum Dum. Because he, I don't know, he's for the irony to, or what? Uh, part of it, yes. That's kind of like the smartest guy in the room. You're going to call him dumb dumb, right? So or the, dumb, the dumb really before. tall guy you call him shorty or whatever. Exactly, dumb dumb was his nickname, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. I, I don't, I didn't, I don't know if I would have pegged him as a coach per se, but he was obviously a cerebral player. But he, uh, you know, smart dude, smart yeah. dude, and seeing him go and Mark Crawford and some of the guys that came through. Like Mark Crawford was an agitator, man. He was a guy that, you know, oh, he, he, he would always ask in the echo of the whistle. He was always hitting guys, you know, and you know, hitting them in the cup. And he, he was <laughs> a 
just a, a gnat, an absolute gnat. And, you know, to see him patrol the bench in a suit kind of cracked me up because I remember him as a player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's nuts. And you got, and did you ever talk to Gretzky? Because he didn't come the first year, but he did come the second year. He did. I actually had a one-on-one with Wayne. It was funny that I remember that game. Uh, the night before that game, they finally got the Kings in and Gretzky's coming in. And the Kings are unloading their stuff and they couldn't have escaped because there was a kiss concert at the Bradley Center that night. And they were setting up for a kiss, all the pyro and everything. I remember walking out and it was great to be in the rink to watch them set up. But I I remember walking across the rink and I bumped into Kelly Rudy was the uh, Kings goal at the time. And he was like talking to, he was trying to talk his way in to like backstage passes with the the crew. And he was talking. So I finally, I, I went in and lo and behold, there's Wayne sitting in his locker. And I got like probably about 10 minutes with him. Wow. And I, and I just asked him about what he'd heard about Milwaukee and how he was supposed to be here the year before and the trade happened and everything. And he was gracious, but he wasn't too thrilled to be Not, in Milwaukee and yeah. to be talking to me. And I finally, I said, what do you think of the rink, the building? And he said, I haven't seen it yet. I'll see it tomorrow night. Hmm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And, and playing an exhibition game too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, like most of those guys, it's he, sort of like sort of like spring uh spring training spring training yeah the, they don't play on the road yeah training. right exactly yeah, they, exactly they and yeah i actually That's came one across of the great stories though came from that game from carl valamont who said gretzky beat him on the rush carl <laughs> hits him with his nine iron right as he goes by gives him a little two hand uh, whistle blows uh carl goes and feels shame for two minutes uh, they come out for a face-off and Marty McSorley, he feels a tap on his shoulder and breathing down his neck saying, I wouldn't do that again. And he turns around and says, yes, sir, Mr. McSorley. I won't do that again. <laughs> that's, again. that's fantastic. Yeah. That was, and so there you had the, the, the biggest name in hockey here, the second year of the building. It was uh, like the, the first year I saw, I came across the contract for opening game at yeah. the Bradley center between the two teams. And it said like, like Savard know, had to play and Dennis yeah. Savard had to play and Mark Messier yeah. had to play and Grant Fuhr had to play. And like, like all of these hurt, names, these guys all were obligated to play. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And Darren Pang was on that team, that Chicago team. So was Jeremy Roenick. Uh, uh, it, it was it absolutely just crazy. Just crazy to so, think about. Oh yeah. And so my hockey days, like I would create stuff to do if the admirals were on a long trip, and I'd look at the Blackhawks schedule and say, oh, I'm going to go down and do a story on, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a story on Chelios and, you know, was playing for the Hawks at the time. And I, you know, I'll go down and do a feature on him, you know, any ex Badger that was coming through or anything right. that I, I would just shoot down to Chicago stadium. I got to see a lot of games at Chicago stadium, which was spectacular because right. that they, they had it rocking in that era. Yeah. They didn't win. Like the only thing missing from the Admiral's resume of the time that we talk about the boom was like playoff success. They were always like one and done. It was always a heartbreaking, crushing loss. Somebody would get hurt or they got a bad bounce on a puck. I remember one time, I don't remember who the goalie was, but they lost because of a bad bounce behind the, the, the goalie went behind the net and the puck, and puck hits off the, the boards. boards, kicked off the boards out in front of the net and boom, you lose in overtime and that's your season. And it just seemed they had never went, had they won a, uh, at the time, if they had they won a Turner cup in that era, it would have, you know, it would have really taken off. And that was the only thing missing from that era was championship and, yeah. and more playoff success. And unfortunately, they, we never came close, right? Like we had, never. I think, no, nine, first 90, round, almost right, always every, one and done. Yeah. 94, 95, we made it to the conference finals, but that was it. Yeah, that was that's it. about as did. far as it got. And it was always, it was always crushing. And, um, you know, and the thing was, 
Wojo and his guys do such a good job selling groups and bars and stuff that there was juice on the, but they get to the playoffs and, you know, spring's coming and they don't have time to sell and you don't have the, the turnaround yeah. time. We're, so the crowds would go down and people yeah. would think that the, the playoffs was like we're, not we're successful. In, you know, right. it's like, no, this is like. Were, were you at the Tiny Tim game? I was indeed. I got to meet Tiny Tim. Did in you? A, in a luxury suite. Yes, I got to meet Tiny Tim. That was how surreal things. Man. I can't imagine <laughs> what that would like. Like he was probably a germaphobe before there was such a thing. Yes, he was. Yes, <laughs> he was. He was as weirder than weird. I got to meet uh, the San Diego Chicken, the Philly Fanatic, yeah. which would bring these guys in to do stuff. The Phoenix Suns Gorilla right. came in and did some stuff. Um, you know, the, the Tiny Tim. I didn't meet the Village People, but I did get to see that show, and that was epic. You know, right. that they sold the joint out. Some of the and the concerts that that uh, Wojman would bring in. So yeah, that was, I'm telling you, man, that was the golden age. I just hope that we can get back to playing hockey yeah, and having right. fans and having fun like that. And, you know, let's build something at the the Panther arena that rivals what happened during the that what, golden what, age. It's so interesting, your career, because that like you were given you were home games only, but you made something out of it. And that's what I think, like, through all of this outside of the stories, like if, if somebody's listening to this and wants to get into this field, I think that's what you take out of it. Like make, make a little more out of it. You don't have to just write it, write a press release. You can, you can do something with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had that initiative. I got hungry, you know, I wanted to do more. And it was like, I'd pester the editors like, Hey, I want to go write this and yeah, yeah whatever, you know, Hey, Lemieux's yeah. coming to Chicago. Let me go cover it. Yeah. Okay. Go Fine. Ahead. Yeah. And you know, you kind of make yourself a pest and then they say, I yeah, go ahead and do it. And then they started to see the value in it. And within, I, you know, the Admirals was the great apprenticeship so that when I went and covered the Brewers, I had, I knew how to deal with, you know, wow. different coaches and personalities and players and how to talk to people after tough losses and how to, you know, I, I, I still had to learn the baseball side of things. But it, it definitely, I mean, getting those reps, man, there's no substitute for it. The baseball and side I, of things, are you talking strategy or are you talking the politics and the front office and the maneuver? All that strategy, talking? like just the, you know, the way, and some of it's similar, like guys are, you know, unhappy with their situation. We always like to have this romantic notion of teams being all for one, one for all. Right. But you realize uh -huh. when you get in you know, behind the curtain, like you guys are, that, you know, I, I want you to do well, Aaron, but not at my expense. Right. right. You know, I want you, know, I'm cheering for you, but yeah. I'm worried about my next contract. You know, you know, along those lines, real quick, if you don't mind, uh, did, who did, did you have sit downs with the coach? Like, I remember we in my time, coaches would say, hey, if you have any questions, you know, Carl Taylor now invites me to sit in on the pregame meeting that they have after lunch or before lunch on a game day. Right. When we're on the road, mm -hmm. you know, just things that they're going to focus on tonight and, and little details on the penalty kill. And Claude was always that way with me. Lane was that way. You know, come on in. If you have any questions, we'll talk and basically a, a personal chalk talk. Did you have that with the admirals? Did you have that with Phil Garner or whoever with the brewers? I mean, I'm yeah. Just uh, Phil Garner. I mean, every day we, I spent an hour with the guy and I picked his brain about he, his pregame talks would be five minutes of baseball and then politics movies, his, his development deals and business development and construction projects. And he was a real Renaissance man. The admirals guys, it was mostly hockey. Mm -hmm. But they did give an education and like they didn't, they were all nice. Like if I asked a clunker of a question, they'd give me the soundbite that I was looking for and then kind of explain what was happening. But they also, yeah. there's, you know, there's that line that you walk in, in Milwaukee in the situation, the developmental versus winning, like coach wants to win, but you're also play this guy, you know, yep. give him my, even though he's costing you, you got to play him. Yes. You got to get minutes. Right. 
showcase for a trade or we got to, you know, yeah. so the there's that pick and we got to get so yeah, he's got there's be, the competing, the competing goals. And that's what, one of the interesting dynamics of covering a triple a team like that is that you get those and we got to play this guy. He's a, you know, we got to get something out of him. We got to showcase him. He's a number one pick or, you know, so he's got to play and the other guy's better, but it doesn't matter. And so yeah. it's developed versus, you know, trying to win. Everybody wants to win at every level, but it's not always the main or, or that's like a, it's almost a byproduct. You yes. got to be good and lucky and everything. The planets have to align to win in the AHL or back in the IHL. Day. One, one more question, at least for me, what was worse covering the 88 admirals or the O was it O two brewers, the 106 loss season. Oh God. They were both really bad. Um, the Jose Hernandez they, here. I would say the admirals was better to cover because I didn't really have to talk to anybody except Kevin Willison and, Wojo made chili. So <laughs> <laughs> the post game spread was Wojo's chili. So how can you I go went, wrong? Uh, yeah. We went to St. Louis the last game of that year, that Jerry Royster year, and he sat Jose Hernandez out, right? Because they didn't want to embarrass him. They didn't want him to break the, the record. Yeah. And it's just amazing to me to think about that because that's not terribly long ago. It's less than 20 years ago. But how much baseball has changed that, uh, screw it. If you can strike out, you strike out. Yeah, but, who cares now? Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. It was a, it was a scarlet letter back then. No Big question. Time. Big, Big time, time scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, those years uh, I was informed and shaped by my years covering the admirals and, uh, Phil Whitliff and Wojo and, uh, you know, even, even dealing with the Pettits cause it's not that much different dealing with Pettits than it is with Mark Adonazio really. For sure. It's kind of rich, they're, they're a, rich people are rich people, right? Yeah. Yeah. They kind of have that aura. So it's, it was, yeah it was great training. I wouldn't trade those years for anything. I wasn't making that much money. I didn't have any expenses. In some ways I was richer than I am now yeah. because yeah. of the way I live. And I never had to buy groceries in the winter. Right. I was, I was Thank there. you, Bradley I Center Catering. I know yeah. you're a, I know you're a Todd Snyder fan and I've always lived yes. by since since the song came out, the, the line, uh, watch what you say to someone with nothing. It's almost like having it all. That's very right? true. And it's That's very so true. true. Yeah. And, and it's, I've seen that with players. I see the way they treat the team attendance and the way they treat the, the clubhouse guys and stuff like that. I, I've covered players who've been great with me. And then I see them treat employees like dirt and makes you wonder. And you just, Sports is a window into people, man. That's why we, that's why we love it. It's getting to work in it for us is a treat. And I'm telling you, getting to cover the admirals was uh, one of the happiest times. And if I, if they, hire me back to do the same thing again i'd do it in a minute i would there do you it go in a minute well and come back you got, you got something good going on right now in 97 and three the game we should mention as we close here and right as we're hoping you actually got to get on air pretty soon yeah and, yeah, and, and do the program but uh but you and kb and and you got bill schmidt in there now i think and right uh, billy's yeah. with us kb did the kb did the admiral's pa for a number of years i my, i always loved it when kb uh, I could KB would announce Bubba Barron's wag's name. He did a, uh, you should have him tell him <laughs> oh. that I, I really appreciated his Bubba Barron's wag call. I will have he, him do that. And he, his favorite memory is uh, mispronouncing Hobby Bulin, which he knew, but he read it and he said Habibulin or something like that. <laughs> I think one of, one of the Zanonis, I think Dean Zanoni told him it's, it's Hobby Bulin, you idiot. And then he's like, <laughs> what's he doing down here? And he said it into the mic over, over the PA into the rink. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i don't remember that but that's awesome yes habibbling <laughs> drew thanks so much for all your time thanks for sharing you bet, uh, guys so much about this. we really appreciate it that was so good. the only thing that would make this better is doing it in person with beers it, yeah yes, absolutely. let's do that soon i agree okay. i agree okay. 
We'll right, talk guys. about the crippler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not the yeah, wrestler. Thank you, Wilson, joining us here. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast. <laughs>